Hey, and welcome to the Entrepreneur's Ecosystem Podcast, where we aim to help you, the big-hearted change maker with a bold vision to build a business that gives you butterflies and a life that makes you want to high-five yourself. How? By addressing the interconnected nature of all that you do. From marketing to mindset and everything in between, we believe your business is more ecosystem than monoculture and that when it comes to creating sustainable success, it's all connected and there is no one-size-fits-all formula. Join us for conversations that embrace nuance, elevate the importance of empathy, and address the diverse and unique strengths that enable entrepreneurs to not just make money, but to make real lasting positive change in a regenerative and revolutionary way. Hey, 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 welcome back friends. We're so excited to be here today with Tanya Geisler. Tanya is a certified leadership coach, TEDx women's speaker and writer who teaches leaders how to combat their imposter complex and lead with impeccable impact so they can achieve their ultimate goals. Her clients include best-selling authors, heads of industries, MPs, public speakers, leaders, entrepreneurs, and rock star motivators. Zing. So (laughs) just really grateful that you're here Mm -hmm. and we have a lot to talk about because everyone, (laughs) everyone is grappling with some aspect of imposter complex. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you. And really honored. It's already been fun. We've been together for like five minutes. It's already (laughs) been fun. Yes. We've got like, we know each other's, oh, we know your zombie apocalypse toolkit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to have to think on, on my own. I don't know. It definitely. Well, it's not mine. Difficult. That's for sure. Cause literally we would like, we would not last five minutes, but we'd maybe <laughs> look good. I don't know. <laughs> okay. We love to start with this question and not sure at all if you're into any of this stuff, but okay. over here, Don and I love to nerd out on, on personality quizzes, assessments, oh. Any tool, astrology, human design are included that give you deeper insight into who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, your blind spots, and how understanding those things can help you as a, as a human being, but also as a business owner. Do any of those, any particular personality systems? Check, 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 check all, all the it, above, except. Never ask me about my Enneagram. I'm, I'll always get that completely confused. But I have been really, I have known about my human design for a lot of years. But really, it's only been the last half year that I've been paying extraordinarily acute attention to it. And like, how deep do we go here? I don't know. I don't know. Deep, deep. At the very least, what is your human design? So I am a generator and that is the, like, that is, that makes the most sense to me of, of anything that I've ever heard, which is of course is why it's the most resonant. 
Yeah. And I really, I mean, I, I definitely identify with that, you know, and then, so for me, mostly it's about the preservation of the energy mm-hmm. and then the boundaries. And that has been such huge learning and where it sort of juxtaposes with my work with the imposter complex, um, the boundaries and the people pleasing that I have to be really mindful of as a generator. So that's what just like, it makes sense to me on absolutely every level. Can you go a little bit deeper into generator energy? I'm a generator too. And I feel like I always wish I was like a manifest generator or a man. It's like you almost impost. Like, it's like, I want to deny generating. So I want to hear, I love that it resonates with you. And I want to know, like, what about it resonates with you and, um, and how in the last six months or what have you, you've been using it to your advantage. So the reason I was never excited about it when I was first made aware of it, maybe five years ago, <laughs> the person who shared with me, they're like, oh, it's super common. So I was like, mm, eh. mm, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's probably what I heard. I was like, pass, like, <laughs> let me try this again a couple of years when I'm like much more exceptional or something, right? Mm-hmm. You're already learning so much about me. But really for me, it is this, it's, it's so painfully simple for a generator to be really cognizant of where their energy lifts and where it interacts, right? Right. So I think it's something about, and I'm not sure if this is true across the board. So this is why we hire experts who know this stuff and not listen to people on the internet who just got a report six months ago, (laughs) like signed up for that. But the way I understand it and how it's been meaningful for me is it makes my day really simple. If Mm -hmm. all I need to do is align my energy to the things that bring me a lot of satisfaction, and pay attention to the things that really frustrate me. I love it. Wow, that's really mm. simple. And if I recognize that that's actually not a, the way it was described to me is as a generator, people want to be around your energy because you make them feel a certain way. And that's really, really, really valuable. So your job is to uphold that. And so if somebody wants me to help them move, for instance, I can move some boxes but I'm going to be pretty pissy about it (laughs) or I'm not going to bring my best because that's not where I, that's not where I'm really fantastic. I mean, I can make, I can make the charcuterie board. I can curate the playlist. I can bring the fun. I can do all of that, but actually like physically moving the boxes, I'm going to be super resentful, possibly break a nail, kind of pissy about it. And nobody has a great outcome. The boxes will get moved but it's probably better to have somebody else who's really great at that mm. because it's not actually the boxes being moved that you want when it's, when I show up to help you, it's my unique Tanya-ness that is not for everybody clearly, but it's for that person. So my job has to be more discerning about like, yes, I'm, I'm able to help you, but it, I'm going to be able to help you in this way because that's the way that I can bring my absolute best. And that's my job is to bring my absolute best. So it means that I can be far more generous inside of a context of whatever the thing is, as long as it's a place that I can, I can shine. And so I've divested from that being selfish and actually recognizing that that's, that's the way I can be the most generous. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. And I love how you tied it to what elements of the imposter complex that human design type might connect to. I'm curious what that would be for like the other ones as well. Need to we need to have like a meeting of the minds and get um 
human style expert up in right. here. That'd be super interesting. That'd be really, yeah. that'd be really, really interesting. You know, like, so my kid is a projector. Mm-hmm. So, and I know this because we're having a bit of, hmm, I'm in a little bit of a struggle right now. She is on the precipice of graduating from high school. So it's now, the, I, I have this like need to want to know what the plan is. Right. And she, as a projector, is like, I'm see. Like, I see, like, see all the options. I'm a lighthouse. I'm letting the plan come to me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Someone's probably going to send me a ticket to like go somewhere. And of course, today, she just got invited to go to university in England. Oh, it's like basically a Hogwarts castle. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, the whole time I'm like, we need a plan. And she's like, Amazing. I don't know. It's probably going to. Okay. So, anyway, there's a whole, I mean, and we could also talk about privilege embedded in that. That is not necessarily everybody else's truth, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. cognizant of all of that. But my job as a generator is to make sure that I am saying yes to the things that I actually can really show up for in the most generous way and no to the things that simply that I, that I won't be able to because it will be a negative outcome for other folks. Mm-hmm. That helps. That makes it real clear. That's super inspiring. Thank you. I'm going to sit with that. I also want to speak to how long I've been waiting for my letter from Hogwarts and maybe I'm just the wrong human design. (laughs) Well, I'm a projector. I've yet to, I'll keep waiting. That's the thing about us projectors. We can wait for that invitation for as long as it takes. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. like, I'll get invited, I'll go there. And then I'll be like, Shanti Zach needs to be invited. <laughs> I feel it in my gut. And then that's how you'll get there. Right. Well, here's, so here's the other thing about the generator though. This is the curse of the generator, particularly the curse of the people pleasing generator. We'll say yes to a lot of things because in the moment it feels really exciting. Mm-hmm. So this is my edge when it stops being a big yes, like particularly things that are like way out then, then if I get right up to that point and it's like, oh, I guess I better get a plane ticket to go do that thing. I ha- and I'm, it, it's now become a no, then it has to be a no. That has been really tricky. Because of course, like as things feel like they're starting to open up, I'm like pile on the S's. And right. that's, not, that's not where my energy is anymore. Mm. Really. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying yes. To coming on our podcast because I'm already having so much fun and we haven't even started digging into your expertise, which is something I know intimately from the inside, but I'm not so sure how to get through to the outside. So yeah, thank, thank you. Because I do feel that so many, every entrepreneur or public facing person I've ever met, heck, even just people in school, like like trying to get a good grade or getting a good grade feel like they're imposters. Right. And it seems like the smarter the people are (laughs) or the more knowledgeable they are, the more they feel like they're like not good enough or that they need to hide or, or what have you. So yeah, this is, I'm, yeah, I'm mostly just saying, I'm so excited. (laughs) But right. What's with that phenomenon? Is that, are we just picking that up or have you noticed this too, that really intelligent people, the people that you see in your life, whoa, please write all the books and speak on all the stages seem to be plagued with 
the worst imposter complex. Yeah. Yeah, of course, because they have strong values of proficiency, excellence, and integrity. I mean, I could start real far back. You know, I always start with a little bit of a history lesson. I never know how much people know, but I like to attribute the teachers. So um, imposter phenomenon is the term that was coined by clinical psychologist Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes back in 1978. They were working with high-functioning women Mm. and noticed that these women were incapable of internalizing their success. So these were academics. So at the top of their game, right? Any success they had, they would chalk up to luck, fluke, timing, or having somehow managed to convince people they're smarter or more capable than they actually were. Okay. So already we get high functioning, high achieving values of proficiency, excellence, and integrity. They're operating at, yeah, at this very high level. And no matter how successful they are, there's this through line that, that it's not to be trusted. They're not to be trusted. It's not to be trusted. It was a fluke. How did I even get into this? How did I get into Elberlin College? How did that happen? Like, clearly I was admitted by mistake. <laughs> their failures, they were more than able to internalize. So that's, you know, that's where this began. And so Clance and I'm's, you know, clinical psychologists, they're looking through all the through lines and start to recognize that this is actually part of an instrument of evolution to make sure we don't mutate too quickly. And it's actually part of our really fundamental tribal human need to belong. So you will fear success almost as much as you fear failure, because whether you are, you know, out here or out here, you're not in here. And so that's why it's uniquely obsessed with where we are relative to the dominant group, which is of course why if you are somebody who is of a marginalized identity, right? If you are somebody who's part of a systemically excluded group, you are going to have an exacerbated sense of the imposter complex because you do not see yourself in the, whatever that dominant culture is. Mm. Yeah. So I think that it's really important that we acknowledge, you know, I'm talking to you as a white neurotypical, able, able-bodied woman of middle-class means living in North America. So my experience with the imposter complex might not look or feel like, you know, somebody else listening to the podcast who doesn't have the same identities as me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to show differently for different people. And what I know to be true is that it, when we are experiencing the imposter complex, there's kind of like flattening, like smooshing, and we all will experience it in the same ways. No, how do I say that? A little bit differently. We will experience it more acutely in some ways, less acutely in others. It's complex. Mm-hmm. It just is. But typically it will have us, it will keep us out of action it will keep us doubting our capacity. It will keep us alone and isolated. And it does so by, we try to cope with it by going to our behaviors of comparison, diminishment, procrastination, people-pleasing, leaky boundaries, and perfectionism. Those are the, the six that it's going to have you go to, to avoid feeling like the imposter. Mm. Okay. I have so much more I can say right now. I'm going to stop. How are we doing? Well, I mean, that's a lot um, <laughs> right there. So I love the idea, not that I love it, but I, I kind of love the like flattening by wanting to belong, like that need mm. to belong. Because I think regardless of 
whether or not you are in a, you know, a group of people where you feel like you fit in easily, or you feel like you look like you fit in easily. It's, I don't know anyone who feels like they belong most of the time, right? I feel like all of us kind of feel like we don't belong. And I would agree that it would be even harder if you're in an even more marginalized group. So yeah, I thank you for pulling pulling that out and all and I, and I want to speak to flattening, which is like just like the human condition and the need to belong. We all have that regardless. And then I want to speak shortly just a little bit to like that fear of success being just as strong as that fear of failure. Personally, I fear success more than failure. I've failed lots of times. I'm fine with it. I know how to like get up and keep going, but success, I don't know how to hold, like, I don't know how to grow the capacity to hold success. And I don't know, I have tools, but I, yeah, I don't, I couldn't say to someone, oh, you need to do this breath practice and these many push-ups, or like show up on this many stages in order to have that capacity. So yeah, that's where I'm at. I also love when we recognize our teachers. I think it's so important. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's fascinating where this originated from and this whole idea. Mm-hmm. And that we don't have typically teachers in our lives to say to us, if you do this, if you try to strive and stand out from the group and you do something that might not feel safe to you and might risk your ability to feel like you belong, this might happen. You might experience these feelings and those are totally normal. What a different world it would be if in the same way that our mothers sit us down when we're young and tell us all about the birds and the bees, if we got sat down and explained to like, these are the experiences that will likely arise when you encounter (sighs) going outside of your comfort zone and Mm -hmm. really standing in your, in your excellence and your brilliance and sharing that with the world thousand percent a thousand percent and it's so interesting you know when I think about there's so many doorways to go in with this work I had exceptional parents I mean I really 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 did and I say that with you have no idea how much care I say that with because I know that is so so that is not the experience for so so many people and you know we can talk about the mother wound all the day long, which really should be called the patriarchy one, but I digress. Um, but my mom, literally, these are the words she said to me, Tanya Geisler, you are going to set the world on fire. Mm. <gasps> Can you even like, what a beautiful benediction, right? What a beautiful gift. Mm-hmm. And I've spent my whole life trying to figure out if I'm doing it. Oh. <laughs> Am I doing it now? Am I doing yes. it now? Am I doing it now? What is it? Do I even want to set the world up? Like, what does it even mean? Right. I had, you know, and I had, and my mother who passed away years ago had a very fraught relationship with other women. So she did tell me about the sin about shining. She did tell me about that. It might be safer to diminish my brilliance because 
other people would want to cut me down. She didn't know that she was telling me about the tall poppy syndrome, right? but she was telling me about the tall poppy syndrome. You know, she actually wrote a post. I wrote a post about this. Not very long. Well, actually probably a long time ago. Now everything's relative. We're in like Jeremy, Jeremy time. But about five years ago, I think I wrote a post called or an article called moderate your voice, because that was something my mom had told me to do, like literally moderate my voice. I had an extraordinary fever when I was a very young baby. So I had some messed up vocal cords for a bit, which is kind of interesting in and of itself, but I digress as a speaker. <laughs> but I really did have this kind of very high Owen Meany kind of voice, I think. And so it was a vocal cord situation, but she would say, you're going to set the world on fire and to be safe, you're going to need to moderate your voice. <gasps> so I had some of those lessons and I think I've seen so many folks who haven't had so many of those lessons, which is probably why I do this work. But the lessons were incomplete, right? Because she was just getting me to the place where she possibly could. And I think that the mistrust of other women, I think is, is it has been part of my legacy work to heal that mm. for my lineage. Because it's what I actually know to be true is that something that you said that reminded me of a time I did a a keynote at a conference for the Society of Women Engineers in Philly, back when we traveled, obviously. And I did kind of a thought experiment. I did the same keynote for a group of C-suite women. So like Google, Apple, like C-suite, like super, super, super at the top of their game. And then I did the same talk for a group of women who were just, who had just graduated, who were just getting into engineering. And so my, part of my framework, I just, I'm realizing that I have not, not given either of you a chance to talk in a moment. I, I promise I'll share this and then I will back off. I have a very specific framework that I guide people through. And one really important part is, is assembling the cast and making sure that you are surrounded by the best, by people who can remind you how remarkable you truly are when you choose to forget it. But I also talk about the fact that your people want you to succeed. That's not everyone. Your people want you to succeed, but that's not everyone. So anyway, I have this whole thing that I talk about when I talk about support and cast and being with people and so on. And it was interesting. The young, so the women who were just, who had just graduated, were just stepping into engineering. It was like I, you know, they were right with me. They were super engaged. Like they just could not get enough. And the second I started talking about being able to trust and people around them, it was literally like I took like a huge bucket of water and just doused them up because they're all like, nope, done. Spell was broken. They were not buying it one bit. They were like, nope, can't trust, can't trust. Too competitive. There's no way that I, other people will support me. Later that afternoon, I did the same talk with the C-suite women and I said, and part, part of the conversation was about support. And each of these women, didn't matter if they're Google, didn't matter if they were whatever, wherever, they said, I would be nowhere if I didn't actually believe that to be true. I would be nowhere if I didn't have mentorship or allow myself to be mentored or really lean into this, the spirit of, of collaboration that is here. I would be nowhere. Mm. And I just thought, so then I actually did actually insist that Swede create this mentorship program 
so that they would be able to take that and say, like, come on, like, come on, this, this is what you, this is what's going to be the most meaningful step forward for you if you can actually start to lean into that. So that's my, if we had the teachers who would tell us these things, what a difference it would make. I love that. I can't believe it happened on the same day. What a beautiful experiment. And to be able to see that, right. And um, I think you said that you were healing, um, not being able to trust women for your own lineage. And I would just like to invite the very real truth that that is a healing that you're doing for all of us, because it's not just your lineage. It's truly and maybe this is the same for men. I can't speak to them or anywhere else where people are on the gender spectrum. But personally, that was so much a big part of my, like my growing up and also something I still sort of struggle with where my insecurities come from. And I think it's just so important that as women, we learn how to support each other into our like true successes um, and and maybe let go of some of that people pleasing. So thank you for sharing. And we had our last podcast or a couple of podcasts ago, we spoke about the idea. Josh from Interact said like he had, I think he interviewed 25 CEOs and one of the main points that he got from all of them, top five was like, get a team of champions to cheer you on. And wouldn't it be beautiful if we could just trust in the women around us to be that team of champions? And if we could be that for them as well. So, yeah. So here's the thing though. So often when we have these conversations, when I have these conversations, don't speak very specifically, I will say, and again, this is a not a one size fits all. None of it ever is. Okay. So when I say this might apply to 30% or 45% or whatever, this might not be your truth. Your truth, person who's listening and going, but, 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 but. Um, so it might not be your, your truth. One of the things, though, is that that is, we have heard that so often. We know, we, like, we have felt it, we've experienced it. And sometimes, though, we haven't actually asked for that support. We just haven't asked. We have a belief, or we've seen it, or we've heard it, or we've, 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 had, we've been conditioned, right? I, I don't know how old I was before I even actually believed for it, that it was possible that other people support me because I was so conditioned to think that they weren't going to, and I don't know that I ever even asked. So this is, it's, so A, if you have asked and you have not received the support that you wanted and you have ex- experienced that sting of almost betrayal that can come, you are not allowed to gaslight yourself. I am talking to the people who forget to make those asks because that's the thing that we will do, right? So again, not that's not for everybody, but sometimes that can be a big, huge barrier. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to people. Well, you know, this is a really huge idea. You're going to need some folks to help you lift it up. And they'll say, oh, well, then forget it. I'm, I'm terrible at making, I'm terrible at asking. Well, have you? And the answer is usually like, well, no, but I just know what's going to happen. Again, there's there can be some deep wounding here that has happened for folks where where support we're exploring this in pretty deep in pretty deep levels in one of my programs called the practicum, which is a deep dive into specific theories, power, support, visibility, all these things. So we're looking at a really deep dive into support right now, and it, it's fraught. You know, it it can be deeply fraught. So we just have to find our own edges. But 
it's important. Shine theory. I don't think we can have this conversation about, you know, being supportive of other humans without mentioning Anne Friedman and Emanatu Sao's work on shine theory, where it really is about, you know, I'm not going to shine if you're not going to shine and how that's just a really, a really important way that we need to rewrite the narrative that we've been taught and told. Yeah. I recently got to collaborate a little bit as sort of a ghostwriter with a well-known entrepreneur who's writing a book, helping people to step into their soul's calling, do the big scary thing. And one of the projects was to write some scripts that they could use Mm. to ask Mm. for that kind of support to their, to their partner or friends, family. And so funny, I'm writing this script. I'm like, I've never once had a conversation like this. Right. Right. (laughs) I've never had. Right. I know. Right. Weirdly ironic, but. I also think it's funny. Like we always think that the ask, so this is what I was saying before with the generator stuff, full circle, y'all. You know, when somebody makes an ask of me, I'm allowed to say yes. I'm allowed to say no. And I'm also allowed to say, I'm not going to move boxes, but I'll bring the charcuterie board. Right. You can say yes, you can say no, you can make a counteroffer. And that like, that feels really foundational, right? Like that doesn't seem like a thing that we've necessarily been taught. I would say that we, yeah, not sure that we've necessarily been taught that. So it's huge. I mean, it is absolutely huge, but I think it's also really important though to remember this, that again, speaking into that tenderness that I know some people feel around, well, I do ask for support and I don't get met or I ask for input and I don't get met the harder piece here is that they might not be your people. Right. Might not be your people. Like not all people are our people and that doesn't make them bad. It just means that they're maybe not here for that aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I don't, I'm actually nervous to, to, to quote it. And some people was like, how do you know who your people are? Uh, Nayira Wahid has a poem. This is how, you know, I'm a little nervous about quoting it right now. So that's like a big, caveat here that I may be getting this wrong probably will fix it in post or we'll get like maybe put in the show notes but some people when they hear your story expand others upon hearing your story contract and this is how you know I love it right this is how you know so look why are we asking people who you know to be something else than they've already like shown us my friend Lena West says we have to stop expecting it's like asking a, a vacuum cleaner to be a pizza. Like you can't, like you just have to know what you're dealing with. Your people. Is yeah. it imposter syndrome stopping people from asking? Yes. Can be. It can be. It can be. It can also be, again, it can be a lived experience of people having had bad experiences of people asking or it being weaponized against them. Or actually, let me say this a little bit differently. I have 12 lies of the imposter complex that I think we should probably share with the listeners. And, you know, successful people don't experience this. You're not ready yet. You have nothing useful or original to say. Don't tell anyone about this. You must tell everyone about this. It's just a matter of time before this all crumbles beneath you. You know, self-doubt is proof of your inadequacy. Ding, 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 right? Like, woo! It's all the way through. Line number 11 or 12, I can't remember. Only the weak seek help. Mm-hmm. Right? 
So this was interesting. So a little name dropping. When I did my TEDx talk, I once again attributed the teachers, Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes, and apparently that doesn't happen that often. So my talk came across Pauline Clance's desk, and she was really impressed by what I had to say, and we struck up a bit of a friendship, which of course, you know, my my, my like my gold star meeting self was like, ooh, the four mothers of concept and I are buddies. And she actually had me do some podcasts on her behalf when she wasn't feeling super well. And so anyway, we, we, we developed a, a lovely relationship and I sent her these 12 lies of the imposter complex. So we'll fake it till you make it. That's another one. So we went through, she, she'd gone through all of them and she sent me, you know, message back or we had a conversation. I can't remember. And she said, this is fantastic. Like, yes, yes, yes. Totally agree. That one though, the asking for help is for the week. I'm not sure that that's a lie. And we had this great conversation about it because if you remember, she was doing her, most of her research back in 1978, back in 1978, when asking for support in a largely male dominated field was a total liability, Yeah, total liability. So look at us now here, how much has actually changed, but like 40 some odd years later, we actually know on a, on, a, on a pretty intrinsic level that asking for help means that you are serious about your success. Asking for help means that you are committed to expanding, amplifying the thing that you are here to do. And that allowing other people to help support that means they get to be part of this big, beautiful, world-changing, disrupting idea. Right? So that was it was just interesting thinking about that piece that she was still like a little hooked in with, right? And you can see how much of that would be parlayed into our experience of being parented and grandparented by folks who, who had the, held those beliefs. So yes, it is part of the imposter complex. And also like everything else, it comes the side of no need to gaslight yourself inside of this experience. It is possible that it went very, very badly for you. Mm. I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to think about this idea of like asking for help means you're not good enough or what have you means that you're weak because like if you're going to actually grow a business, you can't do it all by yourself, right? And like you probably need coaches, you probably need little minions, I mean that with love, and you probably need like a group of people who are in a similar position as you that can like commiserate or hold you through things, as well as uh, like maybe someone to make you dinner sometimes because like you're running around putting out fires, etc. and not taking good care of yourself and Ah, I do think a lot of things have shifted since that time. Not that they haven't, not that they've changed completely, but I do think that self-care and maybe being a little bit more gentle, even as a business person is more allowed than it was like, you know, I just think about Margaret Thatcher all the time when I think of like, the way you could have been a leader, the only way to be a leader for a long time was to take on a really masculine personality and role. And I do think we, sure, probably still helps, but I, I do think we've created more spaces for people to be leaders in their own ways now. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree with a fair bit of optimism is how I would agree with <laughs> 
I love optimism. I'm going for yeah. it. Yeah. Holding a vision yeah, for right. a beautiful world where all of us can show up as ourselves. And like you just said, and do what we came here to do, whatever that is. Um, well, really what you're, what the vision I think most folks are really holding is more of a matriarchal kind of leadership where it is so much more collaborative, where it is so much less hierarchical where, yes, that's, that is it. I think too, the asking for support butts up against some of these different behaviors of the imposter complex. So we have this really, it butts up against our perfectionism. I should be able to do this myself. It butts up against our individualism. I should be able to do this by myself. And by the way, perfectionism and individualism are both characteristics of patriarchal structure as well as white supremacy culture characteristics. So it's like just in the water. It's just in the water, like what it means to ask for help. No, we don't like just no, we don't we don't we don't do that. Along with, you know, all the other all the other aspects of it. Only one right way. Either or thinking, etc. Oh my gosh, this is this is just the biggest onion. There are so oh many God. layers. We haven't even started. Oh. Right? Like this is the, the the skin on the surface. I'm really curious. Tanya, when did you first encounter the research that most brilliant women did back in the 70s? And why did it resonate with you? You're going to say, when was the first time I experienced it? And like, I, we, we don't have time for all that. Yeah. Um, but probably the first time I experienced it was the first time. I, never mind. We don't even get into that. But I was invited. So I started coaching in 2006. I was very, very, very fortunate very early on to get to work with some extraordinary people that probably I definitely know contributed to the success that I enjoy now because I think it was built on some of those very early relationships and coaching. So I think it's also important to acknowledge that because there's no overnight success here. Also needed to make some pretty audacious asks. So I was, so I got to work with Jen Loudon and Danielle Laporte back in the day and Tara Sipi Moore. So like some of these names are incredibly meaningful to, to some folks. And anyway, just extraordinary humans doing really big things. And what I noticed and some other folks that I haven't had their permission necessarily to name, and they were working, really operating this really high level. And the through line that seemed to be riveting through many of their experience, even though they had been best-selling authors or they've done extraordinary things was a whisper of this just a matter of time how did I get like how did I get here no that's not to say that those were their exact words but that was this sort of like really really this is and so it felt very familiar to me so again didn't matter if it was you know, I was working with somebody who at 24 just seems like it just seemed the most extraordinary thing to me she's a 24 year old uh, founder running a $15 million business. Like that just to me was like, what? So I had this imposter complex going on, of course, because I was like, what do I know about running, being 24 and running a $15 million business? Of course, I realized it didn't matter what I knew, it mattered what they knew. So she was experiencing it, authors were experiencing it, et cetera, et cetera. Somewhere along the line, 2012, I was invited to do um, my TEDx talk. I've referenced this before. And the, the, theme was the space in between what is real and what we believe to be true. And so 
it really forced me to look at really specific, like what was the, what was the thread that linked all of my clients? And what was the thread that I had felt that was a bottleneck to my own activation? So just that invitation, nothing like being invited to do a TEDx talk can be real clear, real fast on what you prioritize. So it was in that sort of six months that I got really, really, really curious about what that was. And so I started doing some fast and furious research. Um, I'd heard it named you know, several years earlier and then became a, acutely you know, aware of where it was showing up. So it was really in advance of that TEDx talk that I got very, very, very specific. And then I've been in pursuit of it. You know, really, for, and it's been the, my, the mainstay of my exploration and my research and my understanding for the last 10 years. And I'm proud of the ways that have deepened it. I'm proud of the ways that I've brought lots more nuance and discernment to it. You know, I used to say that, do you remember the movie, A Big Fat Greek Wedding? Yeah. So there's a father, the father, he can bring back any word in the English language to, to a Greek origin. I used to say the same thing with the imposter complex. Like, like I, see, I see the imposter complex everywhere. Like that's all I can see. And over the course of time, I've realized, hmm, that might not be imposter complex. That might be trauma. That might be transphobia. Huh. That might be racism. So over the course of time, I've brought plenty more discernment. And again, part of my work, though, is to understand where it hits all of us. Similarly, even if we're not having the exact same shared experience. That's a long answer to your question. Well, it's such an interesting thing to focus your work on and the story behind it is incredible. Thank you for sharing. Well, the thing about, you know, if you experience imposter complex, like I said before, you have strong values of proficiency, excellence, and integrity. So my integrity, of course, means that I need to experience the imposter complex all the time to make sure that my processes are good and solid and above reproach, right? So, you know, to be careful what you wish for sort of situation, be careful what you decide you're going to teach because it means you're going to have to continue to endure it. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Do you resonate with the idea that we teach what we need to know? Sure, T.D. Jake said, your ministry is where your misery has been. <laughs> and I say, and also your joy. Like, I really do feel, I have, I have felt extraordinary expansiveness inside of this work too. And I really, for me, a couple things, well, many more than a couple things. When I experience the imposter complex, what I know is that I'm on the precipice of something important. It shows up on the precipice mm-hmm. of something important that matters to you. So when it shows up now, I'm like, hot diggity up. What's on the other side? So it doesn't, I have no fear of it. it it's going to slow me up because it's a bit of a speed bump, like that's by design, right? Instrument of evolution, making sure we don't mutate or or evolve too quickly. But I recognize that on the other side of that precipice is everything I've been wanting. Beautiful. Yeah. So this brings me into actually a, a question that just came to me, which was like, can we overcome imposter syndrome? Is that a thing even to overcome? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) How about that? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think any more than you can overcome fear. I think that we navigate it. I think we have what the Buddhist monks call have a faster recovery 
Um, my friend Andrea Owen says, you know, flip on the light switch faster. Like, I think that's what we do. To be a thoroughly honest with you, I don't, <laughs> this gets me into some trouble. So I'm like hedging here a bit, but I'm going to go say, say the thing I mean to say. I actually don't really trust it when people say they never experience the imposter complex, mm. particularly folks who are really wanting to stretch their edges because it, it, it shows up right there at that precipice. It's not been done before. So you're going to feel that. So I don't know that it's that's the objective is to mm. fully overcome it. Again, back to my friend Lena West, she talks about the work that the work that I've done is like sort of putting on the Formula One suit, like before you get in the car and you're like, you're going to, you're going to probably, like you may crash, but the suit's going to help you with the crash. Like, okay, sure. That, that, that works too. But as long as you're doing world changing, disrupting stuff, you, you may hit some corners and this work and understanding how to navigate it, that keeps you in action, makes sure that you have filled up your tank, make sure that you are growing your capacity. You're going to have a much smoother ride. Yeah, what comes to mind for me with that whole idea of overcoming it is like, okay, there have been aspects of imposter complex that I feel I've experienced to extreme degrees at certain points in my life or career that now at this point, I simply don't bat an eyelash at. Like if they come up, it's like on with it. I know how to deal with this. I've encountered it thousands of times. It's no longer my truth, but then something new comes up yeah. and it's like, it's like having a recipe book of thousands of recipes and maybe a few of them you can make with your eyes closed, <laughs> but most of them you got to look at the recipe book and really sit with those instructions of how to move through that recipe or move through that yeah. aspect mm. of, and I noticed Dawn refers to it as a syndrome. I will often say imposter syndrome too. And I know you say complex and I'm curious why that is. And, and why did syndrome become a thing that we say? So, yeah. So great question. First of all, what you said before, that is the epitome of new levels, new devils, right? Like it's so quippy. That is what's actually happening. So I want to put a thumbtack in that and probably come back to it because I think that that's what speaking back to, to bring back to what Don was saying earlier in the very tender moment that I really should have acknowledged Don when you were saying like it's the fear of success it's the fear of like can I have this like so I really just saw you felt you in that moment acknowledge that yeah so I so plants I'm said imposter phenomenon I think it became famously known as imposter syndrome because I should probably know this like here but uh, through Valerie Young's Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. And then Sheryl Sandberg probably really popularized it when she said, when she was in, in Lean In. So what we know is that syndrome would, using the word syndrome denotes a uh, clinical diagnosis, which co-opts a medical term. And I think language definitely matters, which is why I use complex, much to the chagrin of my SEO people, because not that many people are searching for imposter complex. <laughs> um, definitely looking for imposter syndrome, but it just, it does, it, it really pathologizes something that doesn't need to be pathologized when there's so much else that can be pathologized, right? It's mm -hmm. an experience. It's a phenomenon. I think it's also really important to say that back in 78, the research like built upon this idea that did actually exclude 
the effects of systemic racism, xenophobia, and other biases. So, I mean, mad props to Plants and Imes for where they were back when they you know, were doing what they were doing. And we need to we need to expand the understanding. So that's that's my that's my plug about syndrome. And, and I mean, again, you can call me Tanya or Tanya, and I know who you're talking about. But for others, I have I have discovered, I have found that people who have other syndromes are very appreciative of that acknowledgement of the distinctions. Mm. Uh, yeah, that seems really important. And also like the pathologizing of it. I think sometimes we think, I know we're not trying to overcome it, but we think if something's a syndrome, it'll always be with us. Whereas like, you know, at least Shanti has some recipes where she doesn't feel it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we like, it, it makes it, maybe it makes it sound like a chemical imbalance or <laughs> yeah, right. rather right. than like, a patterning or a, like a safety mechanism. Although I don't know if we go deeply enough into science, it's hard to, it's hard to tell the difference between like what causes the chemical imbalance or like, is it the thoughts or is it the, so I'll, I'll stop there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. thanks for calling me on that. Chantelle. You also, Ch- Chantelle has a, has a recipe book. Can I tell you something really funny that happened yesterday? Yes. Okay. So I, but a couple of years ago, two years ago, I don't know I'm telling you, like, I don't need to go this far back. <laughs> I was making um, pierogies with my family and I was posting them on Instagram as one does. And I have a friend who's a food editor for House and Home. And she messaged me and she's like, oh, you're making dumplings. You're making dumplings. You're making pierogies. And I said, pierogies. And she said, oh, can I, can I do a feature on you? Cause we're doing like a dumpling issue. And I'm like, ah, sure. <laughs> So much fun. I did this like whole like March 2020 dumpling version of House and Home. So we haven't made dumplings. And so I got the magazine and of course I pitched in like one of my epic purges. So I don't even have the magazine anymore, but it's so cute because it's like, you know, by Tanya Geisler and and, and the way it was written as a Tanya Geisler, like family, it's a Geisler family recipe, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we were supposed to be making pierogies with my friend and her mother tomorrow. So we were making the filling last night. Talk about recipes. I know this because I've been making this with my family since I was 10. I actually, I actually had to like look it up online to find my recipe. And the whole time I'm like arguing with myself as I'm reading this recipe and be like, splash of wine there that doesn't make any sense what is she talking about it was my recipe that was published it was the it was such a funny and anyway, you're talking about recipes I'm like building upon that because that, that actually is I the recipes the recipes change and evolve and <sighs> or you change and evolve and suddenly the recipe no longer feels like a fit in cooking and in many other things but then I'm even trying to adhere to it which I don't normally do like I'm like I'll usually look at a recipe just for like cooking time I'm like I'm going to taste my way through this like do not tell me how much to use but I'm actually like listening to myself and it was very strange what you're talking about though Chantel is that is like Dom that's your work too is to recognize and remember all of the times ah, you found it um all of the times that we have been at this precipice before mm. You've been here thousands of times, thousands of times. The first time you're ever asked to manage, the first time you asked yourself to press publish, the first time you led a team, the first time you made a hire, the first time you invoiced. You've been here time and time again. 
The ego, however, wants to want more than it wants to get. Mm. So it will never allow you to rest in that moment and go, hot diggity dog, that is the thing I did. I jumped, thought it was going to fall flat on my face, but actually discovered that the party was on the other side of the resistance. We forget that because we don't take enough time to celebrate those successes, mark those wins. And it's because of that that we don't know how to build our capacity. Mm. So if we can go back and say, all right, I haven't like I haven't done this, but I've done all of these other things that will remind me that it's probably going to be fine on the other side. I've done my due diligence. I've checked the boxes. I've crossed the T's, dotted the I's. I'm curious how you celebrate when mm-hmm. you recognize that you've not overcome, but that you've jumped over a hurdle. Always, all the ways. Honestly, in most of accountability first of all, works really, really, really well for me. So in most of my groups, that's the first thing we do. What are you celebrating? But they love it by the end because it it becomes such a practice. Some of my spaces we have like, what are you absolutely, what, what did you make happen this week? And that's different from what did you observe, appreciate, like what, like, sure, it's lovely to celebrate, you know, that the sun is finally shining, but that's, what did you make happen? So having accountability forces me to, you know, show up for my folks and make sure that I'm doing that. But I literally, at the end of every day, what are the good decisions that I made? What am I feeling proud of? I absolutely do that every single day. And again, it's different from my morning practice, which is when I observe 108 things I'm grateful for. I am very systematized. Every morning? Every morning. 108. 108. Count them off with my fingers. 108. Beautiful. It's like a, a mala bead. Yeah. Yeah. Before I get out of bed. How long does that take? Um, two minutes. Okay. I like it. Was that just totally life-changing? Totally life-changing. Totally, like, totally mood, like, totally mood changing. So like you start, and I've been doing that consistently for about three years. And there are so many different places that I can see my life has unfolded mm. quite dramatically in the last three years. So that um, gratitude is actually one of my most deeply held core values, though. So, again, it, it's kind of easy for me. It took a while. And, you know, a fridge full of food, that's there. Yeah. Clean drinking water, that's there. It's all of the things. So, but in terms of celebration, really noticing it, tracking the wins on an ongoing basis. And then, you know, I've raised a, I, I will say I've raised a family of celebrants. It's actually just my daughter, my, my husband and I, but he was not a natural celebrator. He is now. We like, we celebrate all the things. Mm. My husband's not a natural celebrator either. I got to bring some celebratory vibes. I have gotten him to love Christmas. He's very festive now and he mm. used to hate it, mm. but uh, that's, I used to hate that's it a great days. idea of just laying in bed in the morning, even if it's not 108, but I, I, with my son, will do three things. Mm-hmm. Start, right? So it begins. So it begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I recognize this is like this, that, I mean, you know, I have a 12 week program that I work with people and I invite, and sometimes that can be that right there, not looking at all the critics, not looking at all the patterns, not like making some really audacious asks. It can sometimes be that like, wait, you want me to celebrate one thing this week? That's it, I'm out. 
<laughs> never happens or, or really notice those, those, those mm-hmm. pieces. But again, it, for me, celebration is like, we've probably heard this. I'm not sure if I've said it a thousand times or if I've heard it a thousand times. Celebration is like the Shavasana at the end of the yoga practice. It integrates mm-hmm. all the hard work to remind us that this is actually our set point and we can build from here. But again, the ego wants to want more than it wants to get. It's always going to be on to the next. I will celebrate when I do it better, faster, swifter, when I don't sweat when I'm doing it. Like these are the things. So, we, so we're never able to celebrate. So we're going to celebrate the good decision, the no, the counter offer, the yes, all of it. All those little steps in between. Absolutely. Yeah, like to speak to what we were, what you were speaking to earlier, even celebrating uh, your ability to ask for support might make it easier to ask for support. Neuro programming, like around these things, can make such a big difference. So I can really see how a making a point to truly celebrate even wins that don't seem massive can make it easier to maybe even see some of those bigger wins because right. I love what you, I love this. What do you, what, what did you say? The ego wants more than it wants. Can you say that again? The ego wants to want more than it wants to get. Yeah. It wants to want more than it wants to get. I feel like I need to put that on like my mirror. I think actually there are a number, we're going to have to transcribe this book show because there's a number of things. I'm like, (laughs) these need to go on my mirror in my bathroom. So when visitors come over, they can really see what I'm feeling. No, Um, (laughs) (laughs) I won't let them in. Um, I know we're, we're getting, we're not at time, but we're getting closer to time. And I wanted to, uh, I, I just know I was blown away recently by this idea of looking at your imposter complex characteristics, the way it shows up as like wins or strengths or reframing them. We talk about imposter syndrome all the time in quizzes that we write because it's such, especially we write for coaches a lot of the time. So it's such a big thing, but it was the first time I had ever experienced this reframing was listening to you. So I wonder if, if we could speak to that a little bit, how to Uh things as, you know, I like even earlier, you said like, oh, you have a high value of proficiency or what have you. Um, And that makes me feel better than thinking, oh, I can't do it. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thrilled too. We are in the self-development industry is a $40 billion industry. That's a lot of money. There's a lot of money to be made and making people feel very wrong and very shitty about themselves. You can edit that out if we don't say that here. But there's a lot of money to be made in making people feel very badly about themselves. And so the imposter complex, again, by definition, we have those values of proficiency, excellence, and integrity. Also means we are deeply relational. How am I relating to other people? How am I belonging or not belonging? With other people. So if you look at those six behavioral traits, people pleasing, leaky boundaries, comparison, diminishment, procrastination, and perfectionism. If we look at the values that actually contributed to those behavioral traits, we have a lot more graciousness and space for it. And I think it's important before I dive into that, I want to be really clear we don't want to feel like the imposter because nobody wants to feel like the imposter. So we go to these behaviors to avoid feeling like the imposter. 
But inconveniently, the moment we step into that behavior, we actually feel more like the imposter, right? So people-pleasing, Don's like, oh my God, furrowed brow. <sighs> so if you if your like go-to is people-pleasing, it's because I don't want to feel like the imposter. I want to make sure that everybody likes me. Mm. I want to make sure that I fit in. So I'm going to just like, I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to, I'm going to fluff that pillow. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do. We use our charm. We use our likability. But then when we're given opportunities, we will chalk it up to the fact that they're just, they just like us. Not because we are deeply, deeply skilled, brilliant, and excellent at what we do. Mm which has us feeling like the imposter. So each one of these behaviors, like we'll go to them. We don't feel like the imposter. So I'm going to jump over here to avoid it. Somehow that perfectionism just makes me feel more like a, like an imposter because all of a sudden I, everything has to be perfect, but nobody around me has to have such perfect work to belong here. What's wrong with me? Right. So like it's a double-edged sword and these behaviors can ping and pong off of each other. So what I want to do, though, is before we make ourselves wrong for it, I'd like to acknowledge where they come from. So what if we could uphold that the fact that I'm a people pleaser has everything to do with the fact that I am inclusive, that I value and prize inclusivity? What if the fact that I get really mired in comparison has everything to do with the fact that connection is my strongest value and I'm looking to see how different aspects relate and how people relate to each other. Like, how great is that? Mm-hmm. What if my, my boundaries had everything to do with the fact that I'm just really deeply generous, that my perfectionism had everything to do with my strong value of excellence, that my diminishment meant that I really upheld and valued humility mm-hmm. and safety. I think it's really important that we acknowledge once again that diminishment can be an important aspect in staying safe. So can people pleasing. So actually, so, so can many of these. It behooves us to make sure that we belong to the dominant culture, mm. right? So can we soften up a little bit? Can we create a little more spaciousness and not gaslight ourselves for engaging in these behaviors and recognize there's something really deeply beautiful about this. I want to live in a world where excellence and humility and generosity and inclusivity is prized above all else, right? People don't make quite so much money on it if you don't make people wrong for it, but there we are. So where do we go from there? One of the things that we're working with is is a new quiz about helping people to identify what their iconic identity is. Mm-hmm. So once you know that, oh, I get tripped up with diminishment, what can that mean about what is available for me? Well, if we go, if we follow the thread, you know, it's like diminishment really means that I have, that I value, that I have this understanding or this want of, of humility. Usually my trickster move though with those folks who diminish is to remind them that they have big, beautiful, world-changing ideas and that it is their job to not hoard their good shit in the name of humility. And so I invite them to step into the iconic identity of that visionary. What becomes available if we think of ourselves as a visionary, right? Like, so that comes up and that creates a bit of tension with that diminishment. But if we really tap into why we need visionaries, then we have a place to go. So 
if you feel like you struggle with perfectionism, this leads us to excellence, which leads us to the iconic identity of CEO. Mm. So for all of you who are paying attention and you're like, I get really hung up with perfectionism, let's celebrate your value of excellence and let's get you into that CEO space. We're sure you operate at a very high level and you know, you got to ship some stuff. You got to ship it before it's hundred percent ready. Like that's just how you're going to have to move as a CEO. So that gets you more into action as somebody maybe with struggles with boundaries. Really? This just means that you're deeply generous. There's a healer in you. There's a healer in you. And your job is to make sure that you're a part of your own circle of care. Mm. As a people pleaser, you are naturally gifted and generous in bringing people together and inclusive. So I invite you to step into the iconic identity of host. Just remember that your job is out there in the party, not in the kitchen. Don, I love when Don's eyes go wide. It's like, eyebrows. <laughs> you struggle with com- comparison, then it has everything to do with the way that you prize connection. And you're really looking, discerning, oh, you're looking critically at the way people are relating. So this is you, you being a maven. So what, what becomes available then? And even procrastination, this means that you have a deep value of discernment. Mm. So that becomes your iconic identity of the sage. It means you move more thoughtfully. Mm. You look at things at a deeper level. You take your time. Mm. Oh, brilliant. I feel that. Right? It feels so liberating to look at it from that perspective. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I'm a sage and a CEO, not like, (laughs) not capable of delivering on what I promise. And I actually, like, I have a project I've been procrastinating on and kind of working on and like before and, and I'm so glad right now because so many things have changed from like when I thought it needed to be done to now that I would be rewriting it. If I had gotten it. And and like, when I was feeling, I have a bit of like funny psychic tendencies, um, just outing myself, I guess on the podcast. And when I was like feeling the strange tension around like writing this project, like maybe six weeks ago, I like just kind of like beat myself up about it, but like stepped away from it. And now I am so, so glad because I have all of it kind of sorted out, but I, I, I literally would have had to restart over again. So when you said Sage and of course Sage just like speaks to me and procrastination, it took me 18 years to finish a four-year uh, Bachelor of Arts. So mm-hmm. procrastination is like the name of my game, but also like philosophy and wisdom traditions are my absolute favorite things to study and meditation. So like you saying that, I'm like, oh, like I can't wait to take your quiz, but I don't even need to. Now I just like <laughs> understand where that came from and the ability, like I celebrate wisdom and sageness like that. I celebrate that strongest in other people and in myself. So the, the idea that I could embrace it, but I still don't want to not do things. Right. 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 You have plenty of time. That's also part of, you know, patriarchal white supremacy culture, like urgency, urgency, Mm -hmm. actually a lot of time, but not all the time in the world. So like do the thing, but bring some discernment in and then get into like, get into action. Right. And, and we know the difference. So again, like it just, I think that we just need to bring a little more graciousness into the fold here. Mm. How about you? Once someone can identify 
their you know dominant iconic identity and that aspect of the imposter complex that's holding them back what do you typically recommend as a next step as a way to move forward well again like all the doors okay. and all cool. the doors out yeah um ultimately i'm there's like five different ways i want to answer this when you do the quiz and you find out which one is your the the identity that's the most up for you it's also going to say so if procrastination got us to discernment which got us to sage exactly what Don just said doesn't change the fact that I still want to like I don't still want to procrastinate okay great so now we need to look at why action's not being taken so I have a, a framework that I call unshakable confidence which is really the opposite of what we want to experience from the imposter complex and this comes down to integrity, presence, and action. When perfectionism or procrastination shows up, this tells me that we are looking at a crisis, air quotes on crisis, of action. And then we need to really look at, are we willing to fail? Are we showing up tenaciously? Are, do we have, are we building resilience here? So that, that becomes the place of exploration. For folks who come against people-pleasing or leaky boundaries. So that would be the host or the healer sort of iconic identity. That tells me we're looking at integrity and we really need to be paying attention to, are we being loyal to our own vision? Are we showing up authentically? And are we honoring our word to ourselves as much as we're honoring our word to other people? That's key, right? Because those people-pleasers and people with leaky boundaries, obviously we're honoring our word to other people. But are we honoring it to ourselves? Because that's what integrity comes down to. And then if diminishment or comparison tend to be the things that are most up for you, then we look at presence. So that would be um, the visionary and the maiden. Then we look at presence. This is how much are we trusting in our own power? Very fraught. How much are we bringing in support? Very fraught. And are we holding ourselves? with reverence. Nobody likes to hear that. So those are the places that now become a, a place of exploration. So I'm happy if people hear their iconic identity and go, okay, I'm CEO, make some decisions. I'm happier still when they look at what happens deeper that has sort of set ourselves up for those, those, those bumps. Because I guess the other thing I would say is that the imposter complex does also like to shape shift. So once we get a handle, handle on our procrastination, say we read Mel Robbins' books and we start going five, four, three, two, one on everything. And we're like, oh, I'm in action all of a sudden. Then we realize, oh, wait a minute. But why am I now comparing myself all the time to everybody else? <laughs> right? Like it, it pings and pongs. So that's why it's more, I'm not super into confidence hacks as much as I am looking at the entirety of the structure mm. because they're all deeply connected. So do the quiz, start getting some learnings about your particular attribute or characteristic, that's going to be a good place to start. I do have a training on this that's pretty helpful that you can get at my website. Um, yeah, so those are the places I'd go. Yeah, we'll link both of those in the show notes. And I just have a sneaking suspicion it's one of those quizzes that you could probably take over and over and over again and maybe get a different result depending on what's going on on any given day. Like, as you were explaining those, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, I feel like I rub, in, like, rub against every single one. Yeah. Every single week. Right? 
And I think that's important to acknowledge too. So we don't make them like, oh my God, I thought I already handled this. No, you handled that one particular aspect in one particular area of your life. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's so much more, you know, it's so much more tenderly than that, which I also think is kind of good news because we're really, really, really smart. And yet we are still hooked by this, right? So let yourself off the hook because other folks are experiencing this in the exact same way. It shapeshifts, it complex. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you've curated such incredible resources and are sharing your teachings with the world. You are like that mama that we all needed to teach us long ago about how all of this could show up in our lives, but it's never too late. Never Mm. too late. Oh my gosh, it's not ever too late. I guarantee you that. Mm. Before we go, I just want to honor you for bringing in the idea that some of these things are actually traumas that maybe you don't need a coach for, but you need like a counselor or a therapist or, or what, what, however you choose to deal with them, which doesn't mean they won't also show up as imposter syndrome, but I think it can be easy to like minimize what we're going through and try and throw it into, and I'm not saying you're doing pop psychology, but try and throw it into some pop psychology thing that I can sort out with a quiz and I'll be fine. Mm. But especially intergenerational and just uh, like systemic issues that, and, and we worked with a couple people this year who are working towards raising people up at the same time as like, like raising them up to be successes in this world that we live in at the same time as trying to decolonize what being a success means. And I think that a, a lot of the time that's how systemic trauma shows up is in like uh, even just valuing making lots of money when that's not necessarily this like global historical always value, right? That's just something in our society that we value. Whereas like in some indigenous traditions in North America, it would be giving away everything each year at the potlatch that would bring you up. So yeah, I just want to honor you for your ability to speak on this and also leave space for where, okay, maybe this part's not 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 my expertise, but not my work to share the solutions for. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for acknowledging that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tanya. Where can our listeners learn more from you? TanyaGeyser.com, baby. That's right. where I am. And I mean, I think whatever social place would be Tanya Geisler as well. Mm. There's only one other Tanya Geisler. And um, if you Google, I think there's a, yeah, there's one other Tanya Geisler, but there's a mugshot and it's not mine. (laughs) Not yet anyway. Not yet. yet. Never too late. (laughs) So much. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Whoa, look at you listening to the very end. We are so deeply grateful for you and borderline obsessed with hearing what resonated most and how you're taking the seeds planted in these conversations and sowing them in your life and business. It would mean more than you know if you would share this episode with a friend or subscribe, rate, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player 
Your reviews tell the algos behind the apps that we are worth pressing play on. So please, if you're feeling generous, take two minutes to share the love. And if you are curious around what your unique advantage is in this wild and wacky online world, take the unfair advantage quiz at shandyzack.com forward slash UA quiz. And thank you again, sunshine. Go light up the world and we'll see you next time.